Lord Jesus, as we dive into your word today, God, again, we want to be truly your disciples. We want to abide in your word. And God, as we abide in your word, would you teach us just as you taught Jesus? Would you teach us how to do nothing on our own authority, but only as you lead and you guide and you speak to us? We yield to the moving of your spirit today, to whatever you want to accomplish in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the book of Ruth illustrates in such a beautiful, beautiful story our focus for this month. Ruth is one who abides in the truth that she must be dependent on God, completely dependent on God. And we see this all throughout her story. She follows Jesus in the way of humble servanthood. And it's so beautiful because her actions throughout the story are like that of Jesus in the way of humble servanthood. And she practices embracing intimacy, transformation, and emotional health as they've been through a tragic story but allowing God to redeem every detail of that story. And so we can truly follow in the example of Ruth and this story that has been placed in the middle of the Bible through wars and tragedy and so many, so many extreme details, this beautiful love story placed right in the middle. The book of Ruth is the classic love story of the Bible. Few stories in the Bible are told from a woman's point of view, but in the story of Ruth, not only it not only is she a woman, uh, but also the story is told from a woman's world, and the writer gives attention to feminine values and feelings. Now, of course, Boaz, in his role as kinsman redeemer, you're going to want to hear that phrase kinsman redeemer. We're going to reference it quite a few times in this story cuts a striking figure as a man who embodies the Lord's own kindness. So we can see through the character of Boaz, God's kindness through him in the story. This story exalts virtuous womanhood and strong manhood. This book highlights how God's people experience his sovereignty, wisdom, and covenant kindness. There's that word kindness. Again, we're going to see a thread of kindness through this story. Just like when Padre Ken talked about how the law was about God's kindness, how to teach us how to be kind to one another and God's kindness towards us. We see this thread of God's kindness coming up again in this story. These often come disguised in hard circumstances and are mediated through the kindness of others. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to bring us revelation of this attribute of God's kindness towards us, even in the midst of our hardship, but also how we can be the hands of feet of God's kindness towards others. Is God working this way in your story? Is there pain and brokenness that needs redemption? Perhaps hope is clinging closer than you realize. The story of Ruth is written at the time of the judges, but there's nothing written to elude that the harsh circumstances of the day, they're in the midst of a famine, were a result of God's judgment against God's people's actions, like we saw through the book of Judges. 
Although we see in the story in the story that Naomi views her circumstance as God being against her, when we believe something wrongly, it can deeply affect our perspective on our circumstance. Something to think about there. Another interesting thing about this time was the repeated cycle of God's people crying out to God for a king, God giving them what they wanted only to repeat the cycle of falling away from him yet again. The story is of Ruth is setting the stage for the most godly of all the kings, King David. Ruth, a Moabite, is King David's great-grandmother, which is also setting the stage for the eventual king of kings who will redeem God's people once and for all. So we're going to read through chapter one, Ruth chapter one, and I'm going to unpack a few thoughts as we go along. So verse one, you can follow along in your Bible if you have your Bible open. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And the man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were, were Malon and Chilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and, and Moab and remained there. So here was this happy family unit. They were going through a hard time together. They moved from Judah. They lived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was considered the house of bread into enemy territory of Moab out of desperation because Elimelech could not provide for his family because of the famine that was taking place in the land. And there was more tragedy that was about to befall them. Verse three says, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi died and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the other was Ruth. Now, at this time, this was not actually formally prohibited for them to marry Moabites. But it is likely that this was not exactly the dream that Naomi had for her sons. It was highly discouraged uh, amongst Israelites because the Moabites worshipped other gods. The Moabites typically worshipped the god Moloch. The next verse says, they lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, Naomi has nothing. She has no husbands. She has no sons. She has no rights to her property or any form of provision. And according to the custom of the day, she would have to become a burden of some extended family members and would need to find someone in her family that would save her. And this was called a kinsman redeemer. Now, Naomi's lot in life signifies our spiritual standing without the saving grace of our kinsman redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. We have nothing. We have no eternal prospects. We have no provision. We have nowhere to dwell. We have no spiritual authority without the saving power of Christ in our life through grace. Let's keep reading in verse six. The section's called Ruth's Loyalty to Naomi. Then she rose with her daughter-in-laws to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. She had heard that the famine was over in Bethlehem, so she was going to make the long, hard journey back home. 
Essentially, she was going to make the walk of shame back home in far worse condition than when she left. Verse eight said, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now, Naomi was close with her daughters-in-law and she blesses them. She desires for them to have a better future than the one that she can see for herself. She desires that they will find rest for their painful souls and for them to have provision of their biological families and eventually to marry again. There's so much love that's expressed between them, which is so beautiful. And it speaks so highly of their character and their commitment to one another. She specifically says, go back to your mother's house, which is very interesting, actually, because normally you go back to your father's house, but it says, go back to your mother's house, which once again, places value on the role of women in this story. This story, again, is elevating the view that God has about both men and women and the call that he has on both of their lives. Verse 10 says, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this very night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices again and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You see, the law of the day said that Ruth and Orpah should marry any younger brothers of Naomi's sons which Naomi is clarifying in this section that that would not be possible. She has absolutely nothing to offer them. So she continues to urge them to go. She's burdened to the point of bitterness about their futures. Orpah leaves, and we should not think badly of her for leaving. Her decision to leave would actually have honored her own family of origin. But God had a different call and divine purpose for Ruth. Let's continue reading in verse 15. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or I will return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. It's important to note here that Ruth was a follower of Yahweh. She had committed her whole life to following him through committing her life to following Naomi until death. She binds herself to Naomi in an oath that would invite punishment should she not follow through. She binds herself not only in this life, but also in the one to come. She wants to be buried with Naomi's family. 
She vows to God and to Naomi to commit wholeheartedly to her and to God, no matter what that means. It feels as though Ruth is compelled by a very deep conviction that she's called to stay with Naomi, who would not have been a very enjoyable person to be with in this season of her life, for sure. But God gives us grace to endure hardship, especially when we feel specifically called to commit to something. In verse 19, we're going to continue, Naomi and Ruth return. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread, or the house of salvation. And they came to Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred. And when it says the whole town was stirred, it's not in a good way. It means that they were agitated because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She was not actually empty. Ruth was there with her, but she does not even acknowledge this at this time. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. We see Naomi in the story here has lost hope. She believes that God is against her, punishing her, so much so that Naomi, which actually means pleasant, her name means pleasant, tells everyone to call me Mara now, which means bitter. God is not against Naomi, but she believes that God is against her. So she cannot see the provision that is right in front of her. There is hope clinging to her in the person of Ruth. Redemption is literally clinging to her, begging her not to leave her behind. And although Naomi accepts this, she's still blinded by the bitterness of her circumstance and unable to see that God is with her, inviting her into significance like that of Abraham. Not only does God want to fully redeem her family name, but God wants to use her family line in the salvation plan of all people, first through King David and then through King Jesus. Naomi's transition from bitterness to blessedness prefigures the participation of God's people in Christ's death and resurrection. This is what God is doing in all of our stories. We are saved to save others. And so where are you in the redemption journey? Are you or have you lived through a bitter story of tragedy? Are there still some unredeemed parts of your life and your family that have gotten you stuck in bitterness? And would you allow God to use the darkest, most painful parts of your story to bring out the miracle of redemption? Have you ever considered the possibility that the tragic circumstances of your life could be the very setup for the most epic redemption story for you? and for others through you. Let's dive into some additional thoughts and observations on the book of Ruth. One of the key themes that we find in this book, as I mentioned before, is kindness. We see Ruth showing Naomi kindness, particularly in leaving her country and family to care for her mother-in-law because she loves her. 
And human kindness actually reflects the kindness or the steadfast love of the Lord that he shows to his people. Have you ever thought of kindness as having that much weight and that much value? That actually simple acts of kindness could be us being the hands and feet of Jesus extended to other people? Kindness is actually a much more powerful thing than we realize. The other theme we see in this story all throughout the book is redemption. Redemption is bound to kindness. How interesting is that? And it is at the heart of this story. And the word redeem or redeemer or redemption actually appeared 23 times in these short four chapters. We also see the book of Ruth full of contrasts. We see contrasts like living and dead. We see contrasts like find and seek or find and seek rest. We see pleasant and bitter, Naomi's name. We see full and empty, Naomi saying, I was full and now I'm empty. And then we see last and first kindness. And isn't it so fascinating because in the very gospel of Jesus Christ, we see so many contrasts. Followers of Jesus have joy in hardship. The gospel gives us life through death. When we are lost, we are found. The first shall be last. The weaker gifts given the greater glory. What is done in secret shall be rewarded. The greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all. So we see these contrasts thread throughout the entire gospel. The story of Ruth continues the salvation story at work in the narrative of scripture. Now watch this progression, which with whom Ruth has a significant role in the story. So as a foreigner and ancestor of David, Ruth is a forerunner of the universal blessing that Christ's redemptive work ushered in. Many Old Testament prophecies anticipate a new David reigning over Israel and incorporating the Gentiles, Ruth's a Gentile, into this benevolent empire. This expectation is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In him, the gospel is preached beforehand to Abraham. So now we're going all the way back to the very first promise that all nations will be blessed. And this begins to be fully realized through Christ. David's throne is reestablished forever. Christ's reign is universal. In him, redeemed people of all nations, no longer strangers and aliens, become fellow citizens in God's household, the eternal house of bread, through a Moabite named Ruth. How incredible. How incredible. Ruth is our invitation, the beginning of our invitation into this incredible plan of redemption that Jesus had for all nations. We can relate to Ruth's and Naomi's story in so many ways. I know many of you on this call or listening later can relate to the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, the inability to provide for your family in different seasons of your life that maybe even necessitated you moving to another place or even a foreign land only to experience more fa failure and then having to return home, facing loved ones, family, friends with a sense of failure, a sense of shame, making decisions that other people don't approve of, being shamed for making those choices. Each of us can 
relate to the feeling of when life doesn't turn out the way we imagined it would, and we can lose hope in that situation. There's a couple of questions that I want us to reflect on in this story. What is the gift in the tragedy of our story? Where is hope in the midst of our unredeemed circumstance? For Naomi, hope showed up in the person of Ruth, a person who her family and friends back home would have shunned for being a Moabite, an unlikely candidate for the redemption, revealing God's heart for everyone to know him. And where may hope be clinging to us right now in the midst of our story, in the midst of our circumstance? And the other thing I want us to think about today is where could your own personal act of kindness actually be redemptive? Where are we being invited into playing a part in Christ's redemptive work through kindness? I want to read the chapter through one more time, just straight through without any interruptions. And I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to us about our stories today. And so you can follow along in your Bible if you want to, or you can just sit quiet and close your eyes and just listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to highlight for you. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of the wife was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in, Ju in Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left there with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people and given them food. So she set out from a place where she was to return with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and she lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. The two of them went on their way and they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Many years ago, one of the pillars of our church, uh, one of the pillars of our church family, Nell Bain, she fell on some hard circumstances. Like Naomi, her life took an unexpected turn after a fall in the church parking lot on an icy winter day. She was a woman of God, and she was a mentor to many of us, some of whom are on this call right now. And there was a group of young women who would meet each week in a small group with her in her palliative care room to seek the Lord together, to pray and worship and fellowship together. And I remember this one sacred day in her palliative care room, not long before she went to be with Jesus. She was unable at the time to speak or move. And I remember visiting her and we invited the Holy Spirit to be present with us. And I spoke into the power of her faithful investment into so many young women and how loved she was and how honored and valued she was to so many. And we worshiped together to a song called All Things New. And we both wept from our toes as it was almost as though we could both see the Lord making every part of her broken body new, a promise of hope in the midst of tragedy. And so today, as we prepare to close, I want to play that song for you. And I pray that God would give you a fresh view today of every unredeemed part of your story, every unmet dream or pain or loss or brokenness of the world. And today that you would receive instead a fresh promise of redemption that Jesus is making all things new, that even in the midst of the tragic parts of our story, that hope is clinging, 